What can we expect from restaurants in 2019? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor at Restaurant Business Magazine, and this is a good question. Over the past three years, industry sales and traffic have been weak despite a booming economy. That economy appears to be past peak, which could cause further issues for the industry in the coming year. But the big problem could be systemic. In this week's episode, I talk with Joe Pollack, managing principal with restaurant business sister company Technomic, and he talks about what to expect in the business this year. Pollock highlights one major issue that could be giving operators more fits than they realize, the aging population and the impact mass retirements could be having on industry demand. After all, if you're retired, you have more time to sit home and cook. And later, I ask some listener questions. But first, here's Joel Pollock. Joel, uh, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, Jonathan. So, uh, what do you what does what does Technomic expect going into 2019? What's your uh, what's your thoughts uh, heading into the year? Well, you know, I think a lot of the economists are saying that you know, although we won't probably have a full blown recession, that the economy is going to slow from uh, this year's pretty strong uh, GDP numbers. And even with the strong GDP numbers we had in 2018, the industry didn't do. Um, didn't do very well uh, from a traffic perspective. So, um, you know, we expect that from a growth perspective that we're still going to be relatively flat, if not declining from a traffic um, viewpoint. Um, I think there's probably something going on maybe longer term with regard to traffic in the industry. Um, this may be more systemic with what's happening with our population where, uh, you know, the boomers are getting older um, and as uh, traditionally happens as um, as you age or as the population ages, uh, they go out to eat much less. Um, they're you know eating at home a lot more, so that's kind of taking a little bit of wind out of the sails out of food service and, and restaurants. Um, also, you know millennials now are starting to have children, so more of their disposable income is spent on other things. Uh, than going out to eat, whereas that disposable income was used for restaurants and so on and so forth. So that's, again, taking a little bit, uh, again, some of the uh, potential out of the business, and this may be a little bit more of a longer-term trend that we're going to see uh, until more of the uh, the Gen Zers kind of pick up the, the pace uh, maybe four or five years from now. So I, I think we're going to see a slower, uh, even a slower market than we saw maybe in 2018. Um, not decline, but uh, on an overall basis, but again, a slower growth business than we've seen, um, you know, in the early, you know, 2012s, 2013s, and 2014s. So you think this this demographic issue is? It sounds like a to me. It sounds like a a fairly big deal, and probably not one that we really appreciated enough. Because if you look at last year, as you mentioned, I mean, the, the economy was strong. In fact, uh, jobs numbers this morning, they, you know, the economy created 300,000 jobs last month. Uh, wages are picking up. As any operator knows, um, you know, the, uh, you know, they have to pay a lot more for workers now than they did a year ago. And yet, sales keep, continue to be weak. Traffic continues to be weak. And, and, uh, you sort of wonder if, if, uh, if, uh, the the demographics are sort of catching up with the industry at this point. Yeah, we, you know we're probably at a saturation point. There's you know too many too many seats chasing too few butts. Um, mm-hmm. You know you know we're probably um, going to see some shakeout. We've already started to see some shakeout on the chain side. Uh, you know independents are still doing 
relatively well, and when I'm saying relatively well, you know, they're starting, they're seeing some traffic growth, but, you know, the chains, especially on the casual dining side, are seeing continued decline in, in traffic overall. Um, so yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely correct that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're at a point that I think we're saturated with where we have, again, too many restaurants out there. And, you know, just like anything that any industry, we're going to see some shakeout and then, uh, at some point we'll start seeing a rise again in growth. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So do you, we, we've mentioned before, do you, is, uh, you said that independents are, are increasing traffic and, uh, they're getting, getting a, a bit more share. What, what's your sense as to why that is? Yeah, yeah again, when I say independence, I, I, I should you know, preface that by saying when I say independence, I mean independence in uh, small and regional chains. Uh, major reason for that is they offer, uh, first of all, they're very differentiated. Uh, you know, when consumers think chain, they think about same old, same old. They think a lot about uh, processed foods. They think about... Um, you know, uh, places that you can get the food anywhere. When they think about uh, independence and small chains, they think about places where they can get a unique experience. Um, they can they think about local cuisine, and also independents uh, are very nimble to address trends and pivot very quickly to address trends. So if something new and exciting comes up from a flavor perspective or a menu item perspective, they can put that on a menu almost immediately, whereas a chain may take a little while to go through their process to get that through the system. So that is traditionally what we've been seeing over the past five or six years, why the uh, independents and small chains are, are doing better versus the major chains. Do you, do you think that uh, social media and delivery is helping independents and small chains more than they are large chains? My, my theory on this is that uh, that if I'm if I'm going to get delivery, I'm not sure how eager I am to get delivery to have a chain restaurant delivered because I see them all the time. But I'm more likely to get that delivery from an independent. Um, and, you know, and, and similarly, uh, it seems to me that social media has sort of leveled the playing field a little bit and, and sort of exposed uh, smaller concepts um, uh, to, to a larger audience. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a, probably a very logical theory. I think there's maybe some exceptions, uh, on the chain front. Again, when I say on the chain front, probably on the limited service side and the fast food side where, you know, people like Chipotle are, are doing very well on delivery side. But, you know, for the mainstream other chains versus, um, independents, absolutely. I think that, you know, they are, this is leveling the playing field. Um, you know, from, uh, again, the consumers able to get, again, that, that unique food, uh, that unique proposition and getting it delivered at home and make it very easy for them, uh, rather than having to go out to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of, uh, what, what sectors do you expect are going to be doing better, uh, in 2019? Where do we think, uh, this growth is going to be going? Well, you know, interesting, the, the, uh, the fast casual business, and I'm going to take the other side of the coin here, has slowed considerably. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we expect that fast casual probably slow down to about a 5% growth rate, where it has been growing at, oh, again, if you look a couple of years back, at double digits. 
And, you know, a lot of that, I think, is we're kind of reaching saturation in that area as well. Um, also, they've taken price in many restaurants to a point where consumers are now saying, well, wait a second, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little bit too high here and, you know, maybe we need to retrench and kind of think about where we need to be, uh, you know, going. Uh, some of the sectors that we think are going to continue to do well is, uh, that we think there's a lot of, uh, runway still for the fast casual pizza arena, although, you know, that's still relatively small. Uh, with regard to some of the other sectors in fast casual. So, yeah, it'll help drive that business, but not tremendously. Uh, you know, Mediterranean is also another area that's going to do very well on the fast casual side. And I think this year might be a, a better year for the fast food segment. Uh, we're, all, we're already seeing a lot of dealing happening. You know, um, and when when dealing happens, it helps drive sales, as we all know. You know, pizza wars are, are starting to heat up again. We know that people like, you know, Taco Bell have revamped their cravings menu. Um, you know, Chipotle, you know, uh, again, who typically hasn't been very strong in or hasn't had to, I shouldn't say strong, hasn't had to uh, promote, um, are, is now offering free delivery. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit of a, uh uptick uh, in the fast food side because of the, a lot of the, the promotions that they're offering, and we think that's going to continue throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, promotions and discounts have been um, uh, very common, were very common throughout 2018 and some, some very aggressive ones. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, one of the concerns I've had though is if you look at the numbers, certainly on the fast food side this last year, they haven't been all that spectacular. And you sort of wonder if all these, any of these discounts are really as effective as they used to be. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I think what's going to, you know, again, is the economy, we may start seeing, and I think some of the slowdown in fast casual, we might start seeing some trade down. Some of that slowdown is going to be trade down from, um, uh, from the fast casual business, so that will certainly help uh, fast food, um, especially when you start seeing, you know, dollar chicken enchiladas at, yeah. at Taco Bell and, and, you know, free Frosty for a $2 uh, keychain um, at, at, at Wendy's as an example. So uh, I, I think that's going to help that part of the business. Mm-hmm. Do, you, is, is, uh, do you think that um, – you mentioned that fast casual. You think that fast casual might have represent, uh, might have reached a saturation point. Um, do you think that it's? I mean, I mean, the last last several years, you've seen a ton of of unit count growth um, within that sector. Um, do you think that maybe it was a little bit too aggressive at times? Yeah, there's been a lot of growth, very fast growth. And again, if you look at fast casual, what are the three biggest sectors there? You know, you look at bakery, cafe, Mexican. And then burger. Those are kind of the three areas that drive it. Uh, and then when you look at Mexicans, very much Chipotle. Uh, now, if Chipotle does better, um, that will help grow that business, and they are doing better. But then you have people like Moe's who has, you know, has flipped a bit. Uh, you know, Panera, um, you know, they have kind of, you know, they're doing better. Um, but, again, they're not doing as, as well as they have been. And the better burger players have matured a bit. So, you know, we're kind of looking for what's the next best area in fast casual that's going to really grow and move the needle. Now we're seeing a little bit that on the pizza side, but still it's a small portion of the overall market. You know, we don't have a billion-dollar player right now in, in fast casual pizza. Maybe in a couple of years we will, 
Um, but right now that, you know, even with aggressive growth with people like Mod Pizza and Blaze Pizza, um, you know, even if they're growing at, you know, 30%, um, it doesn't move the needle that much because of their size, of, you know, their size of, you know, under $500 million in sales. Mm-hmm. Is uh, casual dining coming back? Do we expect uh, they, they, some of these chains got some, some momentum uh, last year with uh, Applebee's and, um, you know, Olive Garden has performed fairly well. Uh, you know, uh, uh, any most steak chains have done pretty well. Actually, it's one of the bigger no-brainers in the business. I think is to sell tell pretty good steak. Right. Um, do you expect that uh, this sort of trend to continue, or or what do we expect in the casual dining sector this year? Yeah, I think you know, casual dining again. It got it got to a point where I don't think it could get any worse. Um, <laughs> You know, in all honesty, and I think they still need to revamp. You know, they're the ones too that um, you know, if the economy slows down, I think that we could get into another slump. Uh, but yeah, they've done some nice things. Um, but again, you know, what they have to continue to do is focus on things such as revamping quality, uh, differentiation, uh, being a lot more nimble on menu trends and being uh, trending with the consumer. And again, you know, they lost, you know, they never quite uh, captured the millennial consumer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their consumer was the uh, the Gen Xers and the, and the boomers. So they have to be very laser focused on, you know, they may not get the millennials as now the Gen X, Gen Zers who are coming up. Uh, okay. So they do have opportunities. And again, delivery is something that um, they need to, you know, double down on uh, because that's, um, you know, and it also will help them as they, you know, further develop because they'll probably need less real estate to to, um, to initiate those type of programs. Because again, at the end of the day, we think we there's we really don't need as many seats because mm-hmm. more people will be eating off premise than in the past. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's you know that's that's sort of a major. I think a major issue for for that particular sector because it's it's going to be a fairly big adjustment. None of these chains really uh, grew or or emerged uh, with the idea that they someday would have to serve a lot of takeout, and uh, yet they're going to have to going forward because simply that's the way customers want to use restaurant chains now. Um, and so that's a fairly big adjustment I think for for that particular sector and 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 really. Um, you know, raises some some profitability concerns in in the future if they're going to be selling more take if they're going to be selling more delivery orders and takeout orders. Um, you know, are they going to be as profitable? Is that box and that operation does that work as well as it used to? And uh, that's a that's a good question to me. Absolutely. I mean, you're losing a lot of beverage sales and you're losing mm-hmm. a lot of adult beverage sales, which are hugely profitable. Um, and, you know, if you look at their, their footprints and their stores, it's, you know, you know, now, you know, today, just over the weekend, I went to uh, a fast casual chain and I, not a fast casual, a casual dining chain did a pickup and their pickup was, I went to the bar. It wasn't very convenient for, for me to pick it up. Uh, you know, so they have to really think about how they're going to um, redesign their stores. Are they going to have two kitchens? Is there a way to motivate a beverage sale? Um, there's a lot of different things they need to think about to make it ideal and, again, to meet that profitability model. Mm-hmm. Is uh, do you think delivery is going to be a sales mover this year, or is it still going to is it is it uh, more defensive? 
What's, what's that again? Delivery? Delivery. Yeah. Do you think delivery is going to be is going to be a sales mover, or is it a defensive is it a, a defensive move for restaurant chains? Well, I think for restaurant chains, I think it is a sales mover. The big wild card again is the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at some of these orders that are coming, even if it's through a fast food chain, you know, spending twenty five dollars on a meal that you could have gotten at a fast food chain and spend $10 with all the delivery charges, the tip, et cetera, the economy slows down. Is that same consumer willing to pay $25 for that meal? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure they are. So um, the, the whole prospects of delivery, you know, it's really grown based on a very strong economy. You know, deliveries, uh, you know, the, the big growth has been over the past, again, two and a half, three years where the economy has been relatively solid. If we start seeing a slowdown, um, it'll be very interesting to see how the consumer reacts to continuing to spend that type of money for the convenience. Is it really worth it to them? Or are they going to say, you know what, I'll just drive myself and go to the store, or am I going to, or even worse for food service, you know what, I'm going to look at another option, whether it be picking something out of the fridge or making it myself. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think for Restaurants, it is when you say defensive, it's basically keeping their share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's more keeping their share. I don't think it's going to help them grow their business overall. It's basically a defensive move today because you kind of look at, um, I think a lot of restaurants today without delivery. If you look at some of their traffic numbers, it would be very brutal. Yeah. I think that delivery has been kind of a saving grace for them. Right, right. It's been. Um yeah, uh, and it's it's you know it's really going to be interesting to see going forward what happens with 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 this you know with with that service. I I still have a tough time believing that consumers are uh, going to be uh, that a huge percentage of consumers are going to be willing to pay that delivery fee um, for 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 a lot of restaurant occasions. That's that's where that's where I have a tough time, and and that's that's one issue. I mean, I think they like the service. Uh, without question, but um, uh, you know, I I just think it's sort of uh, the add-on cost tends to be you know a little bit on the prohibitive side, given where where sales are, and if the economy starts slumping, that's going to be something to easily cut out. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. Right, and and, and the other concern I have is is you know as we stand here right now, we spend an awful lot. As a country, we spend an awful lot of money at restaurants, and uh, you know far more than than you know any other country on earth. And I always I get a little bit concerned about this: is that if we hit a recession, it's restaurants are an easy thing for people to cut back, and and given how high a percentage that is, you wonder if if we do hit a a a, uh, a, a you know a a relatively significant slump. You know, could could they really cut back quite a bit on restaurant uh, sales? You know, on restaurant visits even more, um, which uh, which which would be which would be something given given the current state of of the industry at this point. Yeah, and we've always um, you know in, over the, our history we've looked at recessions and coming out of recessions. Uh, food service is actually a leading indicator of. Um, of economic growth and decline, and usually what you'll see is, uh, but things have kind of changed a bit. If we start seeing decline in food service about six months to seven months before we start hitting a recession, 
because you're right. Eating out is one of the first things that people start cutting back on. Now, things are a little bit different now because I think we're, we have some more systemic population issues with the boomers getting older and not eating out. There's some other things coming into play, but if we continue to kind of see like a relatively large drop-offs, or we start seeing some large drop-offs, especially uh, on the full-service side and especially with independents, you know, that could be a harbinger for a recession. And, you know, if we kind of go back into history and kind of look at where um, where recessions start, you go back six months before that, um, you start seeing foods, uh, restaurant sales start to tail off. And then when we start pulling out, it's very interesting, um, six months before that, we start seeing restaurant sales start to grow again because so, people start getting a little bit more money in their pockets. So it, it's it's kind of a nice economic lesson and something nice to look at when we, we look at things historically. So going back a little bit to the demographics issues, is, is there anything that a restaurant chain, restaurant operator, independent can do to – adapt to to these changing demographics is there anything that they should be thinking of well i think you know first of all uh you know today gen x um if you don't have as much money in your pocket I mean, if you're playing a long game you certainly want to um be as um you want to put your value proposition against what they're looking for. Again, to, what they're looking for today is very much, uh, you know, interactive. They're very much into technology. Uh, so anything you can, you know, they're the ones that, you know, like being able to order, you know, with touch screens and so on and so forth. Um, they're also looking for cheap eats, so they're very value-oriented because they don't have the money. Um, so that's kind of the long game, you know, you know, where the population really is at and where the, you know, the, the money, um, if you will, is at is kind of with the Gen Xers and the, the tail end of the, the boomers. So, you know, if you're, you're, you're focusing on them, you know, they want experience overall. Uh, so again, it's about the, you know, that they're getting, they're, they're the ones that are still willing to pay more, um, if they're getting, um, great quality and great, um, and a great experience as well. Uh, so that's where the focus should be. You know, nobody complains about having a great quality food and great experience, and nobody says, you know, I spent too much on that, um, and worry about it uh, the next day. It's kind of like, you know, that was great, and it was worth it. And that's still, at the end of the day, that's what uh, a great restaurant experience is all about. Right, right. If you, and if you look at the best-performing restaurant chains out there right now, and I think the one that comes to mind most frequently is, is, is Chick-fil-A, and, you know, they do a really good job of that, even though it's, uh, you know, a fairly simple, you know, fast food operation. It's, you know, generally it's, it's, a, it's a, a pretty good experience when you go there. Um, and, uh, you know, they focus quite a bit on it that make sure that, you, that while you're in that restaurant, you're going to get really good service and, you know, the food is going to be, is, the food is going to be good and, you know the price is is uh, is going to be fairly reasonable, um, even if it's not as 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 uh, cheap as many of its direct competitors. Um, you know, so that's something I think for for restaurants to to think about is, you know, making sure that experience, as you said, is 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 on point is is really the um, is, is should be the thing that you really think about going forward because. You know, we have so many choices for restaurants right now, and we really don't want to spend money on something that just doesn't isn't that good. 
That's right. That's absolutely correct. You know, they do it right, and they're, they've consistently had, you know, great results. So it's, you know, time and time again, it's tried and true, and mm-hmm. it's the right formula. Right. Joe, uh, really appreciate you uh, joining us uh, on, on the podcast this week, and this was uh, fantastic. My pleasure, Jonathan. You have a great week. You too, sir. I recently asked Twitter followers to submit questions for this week's podcast, and I will take one of them. The question comes from at Connors in Vegas, who asks, how many small restaurant franchisees with two to ten units fail? Plenty. It's tough to get data on specific franchise size, but we do know this. Based on studies, it is no safer to open a franchise than it is to open an independent business. In fact, failure rates are quite similar. That's actually one of the biggest myths in the franchising world. Franchising, in general, is no safer than just starting a business from scratch. That's basically because there are a lot of unproven franchises, and in such systems, franchisees have less control over their operation. For instance, if you own an independent restaurant and you start having some challenges, you can cut some labor, you can change your hours, you can do certain things, you can raise prices, you can do things a little bit more uh, aggressively than you can with a franchise system. Um, And on top of that, you also have to pay a royalty payment that you can't miss. You have to pay um, into the ad fund. Uh, There are a number of things that you have to do, and that sort of takes away from uh, sort of your ability to kind of adjust to challenges. But in a franchise, you can buy into more established systems that are far safer than newer ones. For instance, you would be far better off buying a Taco Bell franchise than a franchise of a two-unit Bob's Taco Company or whatever. McDonald's, despite some current issues, remains one of the safest brands in the business world. Failure rates are higher for lesser established brands and companies, and they're higher for smaller franchisees than for larger ones. So that two-unit operation is in more trouble than the 10-unit franchisee, for instance. But they do fail. In the Dickies barbecue pit situation, for instance, we've spoken with a couple of operators that had more than five units and they still failed. We talked in the past to several operators in the Quizno system with more than five units that failed. And from time to time in many systems, even in safer ones, you will have uh, situations where a system in with two to ten units do fail. But in general, the more established the brand the less likely that two to 10 unit franchisee is to fail. The newer the brand, uh, the less established than that brand, than that franchisee is more at risk because the brand is less proven. And that was this week's A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Kimberly Colley. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Peter Romeo, Heather Lally, Sarah Rushworth, and Pat Kobe. You can find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening.